to CityCast. I'm your host, Randy Kay, and today we're looking at community engagement in the city of Hamilton, Ontario, from the perspective of a neighborhood association. Our guest is Mike Borelli, who has served on the Beasley Neighborhood Association over a period of years in various capacities, including co-chair and longtime treasurer. Beasley Neighborhood is a downtown neighborhood bordered by Wellington in the east, Main Street to the south, the lively James Street to the west, and the CNR rail tracks to the north. When Borelli first moved to the area as a grad student studying at McMaster University, Beasley might have been considered as being on the wrong side of the track. The one significant green space, Beasley Park, was considered dangerous and dirty. But that's not to say that the area was not without its charms. There are lots of independent businesses on James Street North. Beasley Park is indeed a beautiful park, although riddled with problems at the time, and the real estate was cheap enough to fit the bill. Having been labeled a code red neighborhood by the Hamilton Spectator with an in-depth look at disparities within different neighborhoods in the city of Hamilton, there was work to be done. One of the first significant actions taken by the Beasley Neighborhood Association after Borelli joined was to create their first neighborhood plan. Uh, He describes it as trial by fire. And it was one of the first community developed plans in Canada. Some actions on the plan were small but significant things like putting up Beasley signs on Ferguson Avenue. And then they looked at Beasley Park and started creating positive uses rather than less than savory uses and did things like cut back hedges and then went for winter activities to make the park available year round. So there was ice skating and other winter activities. Now we're going to get Mike Brelli on and he can tell us a little bit about how the BNA works from the inside. I mean, our decision-making process when I started uh, getting involved was set out by a constitution that was sort of put together by, I think, the previous neighbors who called themselves uh, Beasley Neighbors to Neighbors or Beasley Neighbors for Neighbors, something like that. So, it, you know, it worked at the time. It was, uh, as I've learned now, having been involved with nonprofit organizations for about 20 years, uh, probably overly specific um, as a small group. And, Randy, you know, like, you don't actually come across very many uh, situations that you think you're going to come across. And oftentimes you're just trying to find the most expedient way to do something. So, um, we had, I remember a very, uh, contentious meeting sometime after I got involved where, you know, two factions of the association were sort of running slates, but that was the single only time in the entire history that I'd been involved that there was actually an election. Every time after that, a sort of executive group would just self coalesce. Um, and that, we rewrote the constitution a couple of years after I, I helped rewrite the constitution just so that it would reflect that, that it didn't force certain roles. It didn't force that it had to have a one chair or two chairs. Things have been formally informal. We do have a, a structure that we can, but we really make it um, require a requirement that you are your own champion. There's no nagging. There's no reminding. It's if your issue is safe streets, if your issue is getting to school safely, you go, you follow up. Uh, the, the other neighbors will do everything in their power to back you up and they'll help you get those connections where you need them. But um, it's up to the individuals to sort of raise their own champion, be, be their own champion. 
Sure. I mean, that one's easy because the plans have always been so central to the association. Um, the first plan came out right at the beginning. I uh, happened to be, I guess, a chair at, or co-chair at the point where we did the 2017 plan. So I led that. Um, and that was about 18 months of work, 20 months beginning to end. It was planned out. We had meetings scheduled monthly for the whole time. That helped us along with, you know, we did a, a website where people could put pins on a virtual map. We did a survey that reached out to 200 plus people in the neighborhood. The plan was originally built around dozens of activities that were supposed to fulfill objectives with larger goals. Like I said, you know, reducing stigmatization of the neighborhood, increasing health outcomes, increasing housing outcomes, for example. You can find it. It's all on our website, ourbna.com. But the, by 2017, we really wanted to cut it down. Um, you know, the original plan was like 70 pages long. It required quite a bit of um, quite a bit of negotiation, quite a bit of tracking to make sure we were doing everything. So we wanted to get it simple. So the four themes we focused on in 2017 were safety, health and well-being, parks and recreation, and I'll remember the fourth one in a second. But you know, for example, health and well-being, uh, and we tested a bunch of different objectives. So we even had, a, I know, a, a telephone poll that year, too, just to test a few of them, and then would talk about them at meetings. So we're doing it again this year. We know we start with those four uh, key objectives or the four key themes. We ask people, where do you feel that you have a positive experience, for example, with safety in Beasley? And ask them to put a, a, a dot on a real-life map at a, at a meeting or on a virtual map on our website. And then we say, for example, you know, where don't you feel safe in Beasley? And, you know, same map. And then try to find out, you know, you can add comments and stuff like that. So we try to find out what it is. Are there certain problems? So, for example, when we looked at the last uh, set of maps, there was a big hot spot on Cannon Street about road safety. And so that really cool. That really helped us um, understand that we needed to support other groups in the area that were working on road safety on Cannon, the parents that were doing that. And then it made it super easy to deal with the media. It made it super easy to deal with the city. It made it super easy to deal with our neighbors because we had a consistent approach that was spelled out. It was it was uh, evidence-based. And if people wanted to talk about it at any time and wanted to be able to change that, they knew some of the objectives that the neighborhood had already agreed on. So getting a 40 kilometer speed limit in the residential areas, great. We all know we want that. If you are a member of the Beasley Neighborhood Association and you want to go and speak to the media about 40 kilometer an hour streets in our neighborhood, you don't have to get anyone's permission. You can go out and do that because your neighbor at that believes in the same things that the association does. So, you know, it makes that type of thing very, very simple. It also, it helps us see how the neighborhood's changing because some of those objectives change, you know. A lot of the folks who were really into the housing issues have been displaced. They don't live in Beasley anymore. That's like my biggest regret is that we were not able to do some of the things that we tried to promise or, or wanted to do before it was impossible to do them anymore. So, um, yeah, lots has changed over that period, but I think a lot of the, the things that brought people together, the neighbors together in the first place, like the quality of the park, those have not changed. We're trying to provide as many opportunities as possible for people to provide input with in a way that's comfortable to them. Some people will not come out and tell you what they think unless you offer them a coffee. And you know what, I, I, working with indigenous populations, it's one of the biggest signs of respect to be able to walk up to an elder with a, you know, a, a, a 
water or tea and say, you know, can we talk? And, and I think that's sort of the approach that we've tried to offer is multiple venues for people to talk to us at the BNA in a way that's comfortable to them. They want to come to a meeting, great. We have COVID, we're meeting by Zoom. Do you only have time at 2 a.m.? So you want to, to leave a message on our website or, or use the interactive map? Hey, go for it. That's that's what it's there for. And then we'll try to do a survey usually about once a year. And you know, those are ways that people can, can feed in at any time. I would say our relationship with the city is very constructive and respectful. I get, and I'm saying that now as a former executive member, I no longer sit on the executive officially. I'm, uh, I was part of a sort of caretaker group that was hoping to relaunch the association, find some new members because I'd served before and people asked, you know, I had the, let's just put it this way. I had the passwords to certain accounts. So it's just easiest to ask those people, right? Um, we have a good relationship because I can see all the emails that I'm CC'd on or when I log into the Beasley account just to, to take a look. The city takes us seriously. You know, uh, if the film crews are blocking an alleyway where legally parking and they shouldn't be, the city is very quick to remind them that they shouldn't be doing that because uh, I assume because I can also see our members complaining, right? Um, our relationship with certain politicians sort of ebbs and flows, I would say, with the issues this year. Uh, we really have picked up on uh, the issue of harm reduction. We've been very much a, a big uh, advocate for harm reduction in the community. We don't think that any municipal taxpayer or any citizen should pay good money to have a failed outcome. Uh, and those failed outcomes usually are around abolition of things like drugs uh, or trying to criminalize things like homelessness or panhandling, where it's the result of larger social problems which the city can affect which is oftentimes rubbing salt in the wound. So this year uh, and in the past two years, uh, I just actually had an interview with a, a reporter for question or QP briefing in, in Toronto, the, the Queens Park, um, uh, Queens Park media outlet about our participation in the uh, government of Ontario's safe injection site and on uh, overdose prevention uh, site a consultation a couple of years ago. We were invited, much to my surprise, I, I ended up attending for the association just because I happened to work in Toronto and I could go on my lunch, uh, but to basically sit around the table with other <laughs> community groups, a couple of community groups, but mostly medical, uh, medical physicians uh, and other uh, public health officials talking about how safe injection sites and overdose prevention sites save lives. Full stop. That's it. We understand it. I guess, and I get it, the, pro the province and our premier may not love particular aspects of it, but they save lives. And by the time we got around the table, got to me, uh, you know, everyone had said some version of what I was going to say anyway, that I just said, you know, our members, they're not all bleeding hearts. These are people that have lived in downtown Hamilton for many, many years through much, much worse than anyone in many parts of Toronto has seen. And the only thing they hate seeing more than needles in their backyard are dead bodies. And I just sort of left it at that because I didn't think there was much more to, to really get across to the province, which is that you can pay a whole lot of money and have worse outcomes. So I called the physicians that are running that prevention site in Beasley the night before. And in one month, they'd already saved whatever it was, something like a dozen dozen and a half lives with just oxygen and naloxone like can, what can you say, like you can't say anything to that right like so those are the types of things that tend to tick off the city um taking hard positions on things where the city maybe doesn't have the same view 
has required some nuancing, has required certain people burn bridges. I know there's lots of members who had to walk away from the association because they just were like, I'm toxic. You know, I can't, I can't be there anymore because people at the city don't like me or certain politicians don't like me. Or because they want to make a really big point, have to say, you know, I don't want you at the, the my neighbors to have to be tarred with the same brush because they're going to go after me. But, you know, I believe very strongly in X, Y, Z. So in the past years, you know, we, we haven't necessarily agreed with the city on the idea that they should not pursue an inclusionary zoning uh, bylaw. Uh, here they are approving and green lighting new development left, right and center. Um, a lot of development that, in my opinion, and I'm speaking just for myself, looks like ghost hotels, looks like money laundering, and it looks like just cheap investor-owned development. It's not housing. So for us to go and talk about homelessness or harm reduction or leaving tents alone sometimes grates against people at the city because it is also the recognition that they have not done what they need to do on the things that people pay taxes for, which is making sure people don't have to live in tents down by railway tracks and that the affordable housing that is built actually remains affordable housing, not just a, uh, an equity or something for an investor to get a return out of. So, um, I, I, I say kudos to all the residents that have done that and that have, you know, eaten a lot of, uh, bad things I think from the city over the years but definitely it's hard to stay friends forever when um, maybe you don't think that your quote-unquote partners at the city are pulling their weight on things. Thanks for joining us today on CityCast. Look us up on your favorite podcasting platform to stay in touch.